0: if you are going to use the healthcare in another country, what are the considerations as far as pre-existing conditions and that type of thing. From my experience, I think normally moving outside of the U.S. as far as cost goes, normally insurance cost in another country is going to be a lot cheaper than what it is in the U.S. But you also want to have The consideration of, should you keep your health insurance in the U.S.? Depending on where you go, for example, when we moved to Dominican Republic, we knew that the quality of care didn't match our standards. So we maintained uh, a policy for coverage in the U.S. Hey,
1: everyone. Welcome to Flourish in the Foreign, the award-winning podcast that elevates, celebrates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad while exploring living abroad as a pathway to wellness. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American and Trinidadian woman based currently in Valencia, Spain. I am not only an award-winning podcaster, But I'm also a business strategist that helps Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their expertise into viable, sustainable, and impactful businesses, businesses that make them professionally fulfilled, feel good, you know what I'm saying, and also financially abundant. If you are interested in any of those services, build a business abroad and move abroad with intention course, which some of you guys know about, stay tuned to the end of this episode where I let you guys know about these Black Friday deals. As many of you who've listened to the podcast know, and for those of you that are new, welcome that this podcast is a labor of love, but y'all know labor nonetheless, and therefore I ask you all to please go ahead and support this podcast if you like it, if you love it. You can support this podcast by going to buymeacoffee.com slash Flourish Foreign and either purchasing me a coffee, I'd appreciate that, un café desquefenado con leche de avena, por favor, or you can purchase an item off the podcast wishlist. Either way, I would appreciate you oh so much, really. Now, you can also support this podcast by subscribing to this podcast. Go ahead and do that. And giving this podcast a five-star rating. Go ahead and do that as well. And leaving a amazing review telling the whole world why you love this podcast. It really does mean the world to me. And every time I discover a new review, I squeal like a little child. And I'm so happy. And I might cry a little bit. So <laughs> please go ahead and do that. And of course, share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network. Go ahead and post your favorite episode on LinkedIn with your coworkers, the people that you like, or your newsletter if you have one. It really does make a world of difference. And I appreciate all the ways you support this here podcast. I do. All right. Thank you again. And on to the next episode. Today's episode is part two in a three-part series all about healthcare abroad. Yes, I hope you enjoyed part one. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to that. That's really important. (laughs) (laughs) So <laughs> go ahead and listen to part one and stay tuned for part three of this series. Part two, we're going to continue with our compilation of discussions I've had with various past podcast guests about their experiences with healthcare abroad. I know y'all going to really enjoy it because this is the real deal, holy field truth. These are Black women's experiences with healthcare regarding various healthcare situations and ailments and what they really went through. So I think this kind of advice and this kind of perspective is invaluable. And with that, I'm going to let all of these amazing women tell you all about it. In episode 51, I was chatting with Ayana in Osaka, and I asked her to describe her experiences and her thoughts of the Japanese healthcare system.
2: One thing that's very different culturally is that uh, Japanese people go to the hospital for like anything. So when, you know, someone says, oh yeah, I went to the hospital, like Americans, if they don't know, they're like, oh, are you okay? Like what happened? They're like, oh no, I just want to get some allergy medicine. Like <laughs> you just, you know, go to the hospital for like any little thing. And I never really went to the hospital like that. I did once when I got sick, got the uh, really bad fever. I think I did get the flu. But other than that, I don't I don't think the healthcare system is that great, although everybody has national health insurance. It's universal healthcare. It's a little bit cheaper, but the doctors aren't that great and the doctors aren't really that great in diagnosing you, and especially during the winter time. When everybody gets the flu, they don't really check. A lot of doctors don't really check. They're just like, okay, what's your symptoms? Okay, here's some medicine, and that's it. They don't really check your throat and like that. And then during this pandemic, the coronavirus, in the very beginning, they did not take in anybody who had any symptoms because they're like, if we check you and you're positive... You might just spread it everywhere or uh, we have to admit you and then you'll spread it in the hospital so they don't want anybody to come to the hospital and although the health insurance is uh, universal the way you pay health insurance here is based on your last year's income so if you don't have health insurance from a company and you just use the government's national health insurance they determine the price from how much you get paid from work. And I've had issues with actually national health care here for a good year and a half now. It's settled, but at one point I was supposed to owe $3,000, but then ended up being 300
1: In episode 55, I was chatting with Miss Gwen in Barcelona. I asked her to describe to me her experience as a retiree with the Spanish healthcare system.
3: As an immigrant... You have to have insurance before they let you into the country to stay. you have to have proof that you have insurance that covers you while you are here in Spain. That being said, there are plenty of companies that will be glad to sell you health insurance. The, The catch is that when you get a certain age, then there are less companies that want to insure you because you have pre-existing conditions. If you're lucky enough to get an insurance company, like I have DKV, I had cataracts. So I thought, oh, let me get them fixed. And I got, I bought insurance and I didn't find out until about a year later that I had cataracts because it didn't dawn on me that I was seeing darker. Anyway, so They said, oh, no, it's pre-existing. So we don't cover that. And I thought, well, why am I covered if I wrote them a letter? They never did answer. I wrote them a letter and said. At my age and my age group, we are pre-existing conditions from the tops of our heads to the bottom of our feet. So how can you say you're going to insure me and then say no whatever i need done is pre existing but i've been very lucky i'm a healthy person i have had no major anything until this last year so my insurance company you don't pay copay you're not allowed here they don't they're not allowed to charge you copays and all of that here in this country so if you have insurance you go to the hospitals and you get what's done you can go to any doctor whatever they say I can go to any doctor because I'm paying a little higher premium my insurance covers me if I travel in any other country as long as I don't stay longer than three months if I go home and I to the United States and I get sick my insurance pays for everything so and then then they will also if I have to come back to my home country which they say is Spain and they will see that I get there if I have to come back and it's very low. When I got here, the insurance I was paying was almost $600 a month. And my insurance now is just like 250 a month. And that has gone up since I've been here because they have an increase every month. I have to talk to them about that too. So, but I have had now two operations and I go see every doctor that I need to see without worry about how much it's going to cost? How much you know? Do I have to pay once I get out of the hospital? Because everything is covered. So the insurance is here, and the laws here in Spain, how to be covered is different. They also have uh, national health, and after you've been here for a year, I think it is. I didn't even think about it until last year. You can actually be covered under the national health. They have levels of of coverage. You can be fully covered depending on whether you're working, you know, how long you've been here, and they have tiers. I'm on tier three, which everything is covered. I can go to all the doctors. I can do everything I need except for a nurse or a doctor coming to my house. Everything else is covered. Even though I have private insurance. So I'm covered double and I don't mind that. And I like the private insurance because you don't have to wait to see doctors, get operations. And under the uh, national health, you have waits. You have a long wait because they figure, okay, this is not important. That's not important. That's not an emergency. You don't need that. And so you have to wait to get your uh, services, but When you get your services, they are the best in the world. They see what you need. They send you to somewhere else. If they can't help, they do it all. Then they have you come back to make sure that it's done. I really like the health services here in Barcelona. They really are fabulous.
1: In season two, episode three, Kentia told us all about her experience living in both the Dominican Republic and Taiwan. And she generously shared her experience with the Dominican healthcare system after her husband suffered a tragic accident. So Quintia and her husband are in the Dominican Republic not even a week when her husband unfortunately gets into a terrible scooter accident and has to then be taken to Miami for medical treatment. Now, we're going to pick up with the story about what happened. I'm not going to leave you in suspense, but I did want to take this time to ask Kintia about the Dominican Republic healthcare, what her thoughts were on it, and how she
0: navigated that system. So it's a pay-as-you-go system. Uh, There is a national health plan for citizens, but otherwise, if you are a foreigner, it's a pay-as-you-go. I'm sure that there are some maybe supplemental plans that you could purchase. But we actually had planned to make trips back to the U.S. for regular checkups. But we also did recognize that living in a country where scooters are super popular and laws of driving are not necessarily always adhered to. Sometimes the red lights don't work and that type of thing. We... We, we did plan for a catastrophic event. So we did maintain health insurance in the U.S. And so the quality of care, I would say that they do the best that they can, but it's they don't have access to the type of technology, MRIs and that type of thing that you would have in the U.S. that, that we're used to. So when... My husband came out of the surgery, for example. Now, granted, they did a great job of cleaning his foot and getting his ankle set. But when he came out of the surgery, he had a huge, basically soft cast. Now, in comparison, when he went to Miami, they were able to clean it and they placed a metal brace on his leg. Where they had screws in his bone and, you know, kept the injury open. So technology wise, there's no comparison. He ended up having 13 surgeries and having one of his muscles from his abdomen removed to reconstruct his heel of his foot. So that was not possible in Dominican Republic. They did not have the expertise or the technology to complete that. So the doctors did the best that they could, but it's just not a place that would be able to save his foot, which is what happened when we returned to Miami. He was in the hospital for three months. And like I said, with 13 surgeries, but he walks today. He can't run but he can walk and he has a little arthritis in his ankle, but that definitely would not have, have happened if we had a state in Dominican Republic.
1: Let's continue this running theme in this episode of healthcare with the all important question of what is the healthcare system like in Taiwan?
0: So Taiwan does have a national healthcare system and I have made use of it um, quite a bit in the last year. And for me it's amazing it's just it's just being as far as care goes, it's just like being in the states. I mean technology is the same. I recently had an MRI it was the exact same as when I was in the states. My doctors all speak English in Taiwan when they're writing their notes and everything in the system everything has to be in English and I actually, had a friend that was studying here locally medical technology and she told me that they do do most of the trainings in the medical field in English. So the doctors speak English. Even though some of them are a little reluctant at times maybe because they haven't practiced in a little while, but yeah, the the care is is awesome and all the doctors at least for my experience have been super helpful and understanding and really wanting to help you. If you have an issue, helping you find out what what's wrong with you and the costs for me and my husband, we pay, I think it's, we pay a hundred bucks a month for the both of us. And that's for access to the national healthcare system. And For example, if you go to the emergency room, just a cost for that, everything that you have done, including all the tests, medication, that is $27. And then your average cost for a doctor's visit is, I think it's $7. So in comparison to the United States, it's Amazing.
1: Healthcare is super important. I've mentioned it several times in this episode, but also throughout this podcast on any platform that I have been asked to speak on. I am a big believer in really understanding what healthcare system you are moving into if you have access to it. I believe there's sometimes a generalization that healthcare is automatically better and or more affordable just outside of the United States. And I think those generalizations can really be detrimental healthcare is individualized. You need to understand what country you're moving to and what they have to offer specifically for you, for your needs. For example, if you have chronic illness and what does affordable mean? Do you have access to their national healthcare system? And if you don't, what are the private healthcare options, what does the insurance look like, and what does paying out of pocket really mean? And I think with the pandemic, a lot of these expenses that may have been quote unquote cheap, whatever that means, have risen substantially and can be quite shocking, especially if you are asked to pay all of it upfront in cash, no credit cards. So I asked Kintia to share more on her thoughts about healthcare, not only because of her experience dealing with healthcare in the Dominican Republic and the accident her husband went through, but also because of her profession. She has worked in HR for many, many years. She understands benefits. She has an amazing working knowledge of healthcare, and she obviously understands it very well living in both the Dominican Republic and in Taiwan. So I asked Tia to give her thoughts on how to properly assess healthcare insurance when you go abroad.
0: Health insurance, of course, is important because unfortunately, we all get sick at one point or another. And a lot of times it's at the most inconvenient time uh, (laughs) that it will happen. I mean, look at the example with what happened with my husband. So It's super important to understand the health care availability for a country that you're targeting and you would like to move to. And it's important also to understand if you are planning to use travel insurance, what it does and does not cover. Travel insurance normally is just in the case that something happens. And there are different levels of coverage that you can purchase. And if you have not purchased the proper coverage and you have a major catastrophe while traveling abroad, you could end up being in a lot of debt and you're going to have some issues. Because if you have an accident abroad, you're going to have to pay up front for that cost. For example, with my husband, when I planned to discharge him, there was a bill and I had to pay it in cash at that time. And there was no option for credit card or anything else. It had to be in cash. So health insurance is, is super important. I, I would not advise anyone who is going abroad to live to just have a travel insurance plan. Because that is not really a plan. That is just something that is available for accidents only. And heaven forbid you have to be evacuated and you didn't add that coverage to your travel plan that can cause the whole other can of worms to, to kind of come open. So when you are planning to move to another country, it's important to understand. Should you buy health care, international expat care for your coverage in that country? Or will you have the possibility to be eligible to participate in whatever plans are available in your new home country? And the reason you want to have the understanding and know about that is, first of all, if you have any health conditions, those are things that you need to consider in medication and what the cost will be and what coverage it will provide you. And if you are going to use the healthcare in another country, what are the considerations as far as pre-existing conditions and that type of thing? From my experience, I think normally moving outside of the US as far as cost goes normally insurance cost in another country is going to be a lot cheaper than what it is in the US but you also want to have the consideration of should you keep your health insurance in the US depending on where you go for example when we moved to Dominican Republic we knew that the quality of care didn't match our standards so we maintained A policy for coverage in the US. So there's a lot of caveats that can occur with health insurance, but it is definitely something that needs to be researched in detail. And you have to be specific about the country and sometimes even the location within that country that you're going to to make sure that there's availability of care. If you do plan on receiving services there,
1: season two, episode five, Candace talked about her journey to moving abroad, her life in Rome, Italy, and then now her life in Istanbul, Turkey. She also shared what it has been like living abroad with a chronic illness.
4: One of my other deciding factors for leaving the U.S. was my health issues that I have. I couldn't afford healthcare in the States. I just couldn't, especially with a chronic condition like sarcoidosis. I needed to be somewhere where I had access to quality healthcare that was affordable. And so moving to Europe allowed me to be able to do that. When I did originally get treatment, I actually flew to Germany to see a preliminary specialist there which is where I was able to get my diagnosis, where I was able to get a certain treatments. and I think everything cost like two hundred dollars. That was just for the actual appointments and x-rays and medication. I mean then if you throw in the hotel fare and the plane fare, it still came up to be virtually nothing in comparison to what I would have paid if I would have paid cash. In the States. Some of the things that I look for when I'm abroad are those things like where are the best hospitals, doctors, specialists? Are there any barriers or hoops that I would have to go through in order to see a specialist? What are my private insurance options versus public health care system options? Here in Turkey, I've decided that I am going to get private health insurance, even though as a resident, I qualify for the public health care system that they have here, which is virtually free. But things are so affordable here that I feel like I can get private health insurance at a decent cost. I think the quote that I received, it's like $600 for the entire year. And that is extremely economical because when I was in the States, I was paying close to $700 a month for our health insurance. And I actually had to end up dropping it because I got to a spot where I just couldn't afford it anymore. So I think that considering your health care concerns over the long term, that's something that you should factor in if you're considering moving abroad. And just kind of pinpointing where it is that you can get quality health care because there are countries, I'll put it like this, there are countries who offer quality health care, but it's not affordable or accessible. You have some countries that offer accessible health care, but it's not quality. Like you just don't know what you're going to get. Case in point, when I was living in Puerto Rico, I was I was scared. I didn't want to get sick there, like seriously sick there, because it's just hit or miss with a lot of the medical care there. But here in Turkey, they have quite um, good health care. In place. There's some really great doctors here and hospitals here. And so I feel really good in general that I can get really quality healthcare and it's very, very affordable for me.
1: Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you are, please consider supporting this podcast by buying me a coffee or purchasing an item off the podcast wishlist on Buy Me a Coffee. So you can either go to buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign and buy me a coffee, or you can purchase an item off our wish list. Either way, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you're subscribed and you left a review. And now on to the rest of the episode. Now on the Flourish in the Foreign YouTube channel, youtube.com, Flourish Foreign. Y'all know what it is. I interviewed Siobhan Farr, who I have known since basically the launch of this podcast. Siobhan has always just been such a great supporter of this here podcast and of me personally, and I just deeply appreciate that so, so much. But something happened in 2022, the summer of 2022, Siobhan, who has an amazing group and organization, Digital Nomads Beyond 50, she puts together co-working and co-living trips, and she was in Colombia when she experienced an extremely scary health incident, and she discussed it with me on the YouTube channel in depth, and I'm going to share part of that discussion here, and I truly hope that all of you listening really take heed and really learn from this experience.
5: I remember distinctly, the 26th of June, we had gone on one of the things that I incorporated into the co of Co-Work that we had little tours. And this was actually a bigger tour. This was a all day tour. We'd gone to, um, to Guanatape and it was just fine. There were four of us who went on this particular trip. And it was an all-day trip. And I I was able to narrow it down to what made me sick by the fact that there was only two of us on that particular trip who got ill. The other two ate pretty much the same breakfast that was a part of the trip and the same lunch that was a part of the trip. And they didn't get ill. But what happened was the Friday night, I had bought two containers of of, uh, ceviche. Not from a little, you know, push cart stand from a little small store, storefront, but it's still, they specialize in ceviche. They've been doing it since 1916. And I had eaten from there before, but my friend and I, who was in the, in the tour, one of the, you know, the participants, we didn't feel like eating it Friday night, put it in the fridge Saturday night. We came back from the all day tour and I didn't feel like going out and having a full meal. So I just grabbed my ceviche out of the out of the refrigerator. The refrigerator was going kind of haywire in the guest house. So it was frozen. Put it in the microwave. That was apparently my second mistake. Put it in the microwave and melted it down enough so that I can eat it. That night, I started to have the worst experience. It was, I had never, I swear to God, Christine, I had never been that ill before. And that was the beginning of it. There was a moment I was running such a fever that I was literally trembling and my teeth were chattering. And, and there was a moment in the middle of the night that I thought to myself, and I don't know why I didn't get up at that time, but I'm still thinking this is probably that dog on ceviche. I'm going to ride this out. But I remember in the middle of the night after like everything liquid was coming out of me, basically thinking you can't fall asleep. You can't because I literally felt if I fall asleep, I may not wake up. That's how sick, that's how ill I felt. And the next morning I woke up, it was the day that my room was supposed to be clean. I was still horribly sick. That was now Sunday. I was still horribly sick. So I sent a text to the guest house main office, saying, Please don't send the ladies to clean up my clean up. I'm just really feeling unwell. Have them come tomorrow morning. I was trying to get well, trying to take care of myself, basically, because guess, you know, that's what we do as people who travel independently, a lot of solo travel. We are used to taking care of ourselves. That was now Monday. It was around the same time that the ladies came to clean. And these ladies had known me since I had stayed in this guest house, you know, in February and March. And they took one look at me and they I, I had typed out, please forgive me. The room is in the mess. The bed is in the mess. They just didn't even bother with that. They just looked at me and said immediately, we got to get you to the hospital. Of course, in Spanish, they said this. And they called the owner of the guest house and he came over. And I remember, you know, cause I'm in and out of it. I, at this point I would actually fallen. I slept walk. I had a fever walk. They were looking at me. I didn't even know that I had blood all over this side of my face because I had fallen and practically bit through my lip, my lower lip in a sleepwalk, which I'd never done before, but that's how high my fever was. So the ladies called the owner and my first thought in my mind was, How is he going to take me to the hospital? He drives a motorcycle. But no, he came with a taxi. He came around the block from the other guest house that they have. And he came around the block in the taxi. He got me to the hospital. He stayed with me and served as a translator for me at the hospital. They got me up to a room within less than a half an hour and started taking blood, started giving me IVs and all of that. And the first thing my doctor said to me, but he came in that morning after looking at my blood work and all my labs, this is when I got scared because the first thing that he said to me was, um, have you ever been told that you have a kidney disorder or kidney disease disease? And I said, no, absolutely not. And he could see that I was panicking. He said, it's okay. It's okay. I just had to ask that question first because your blood work is showing that this is coming up in your blood work. And it could be just that you are just so severely dehydrated at this point. We will continue taking blood, testing your blood every day to see whether there's improvement in these particular markers. If I had not gone to the hospital, then I could have ended up with permanent kidney damage. As a result of food poisoning, I had E. coli. And I didn't even know E. coli could kill you, but it can. (laughs) A lot of people don't know, but Colombia is considered by the World Health Organization. They're listed 20 of, of all of the you know, countries in the world as far as having the most efficient healthcare system. And I really got a chance to see why a lot of people come to Medellin for dental tourism as well as, you know, other medical issues as well, too. Because you can get treated much better. My doctor was bilingual. And by the way, I wasn't even sure if he was my doctor when he first came in. One, he was awfully good looking. (laughs) He was very good looking. (laughs) Even through his mask, I could tell. And he introduced himself. He said, he said, Hi, I'm William. And, you know, as I said, I'm kind of in and out of it. And And then he started talking about my blood work. And he was sounding so official. And I said, at some point, I said, wait a minute. So are you my doctor? (laughs) And he says, yes, I'm your (laughs) internist. And he probably threw me off because he introduced himself to me with his first name. And apparently that is the norm. That is the norm here. They don't treat you like they are, you know, they're gods. You know, they are here to help you get well. And they're on a first name basis. Siobhan, I'm William. And That was one of the first distinctions that I noticed, distinctive difference between my treatment in Medellin, Colombia, as compared to the United States, too.
1: I'm wondering if you could speak to the quality of care of the facility. And then also in your blog post, you mentioned that you had dental work done as well in Colombia. And if you could speak to that experience as well.
5: The quality was, as I said, it was it was absolutely amazing. The only fault that I could find was with the hospital, is that they kept on bringing me, you know, you know, trays of food, and I would just gag and just I couldn't, I could not eat. I couldn't, and I know that you know, getting some kind of nutrient was going to be important for me getting well but I just could not, I could barely drink water. They literally had me on a drip, rehydrating me until the day, the morning that I left. So I asked them whether I could get a protein smoothie, whether I could have a protein smoothie. And they kind of looked at me like, you know, they, they they even had the woman who's in charge of nutrition come in. and And I explained to her, do you have protein powder? Do you have like powdered eggs? Oh no, real eggs. (laughs) We only have real eggs. We don't use powdered eggs. And, and so what I suggested that since they had juice and they had eggs, and I know the eggs were, you know, are very healthy here. I said, can you just maybe put a couple of eggs and whip it up in the blender for me? And so I can get some protein And, and that's what they started giving me. And that's how it went. You know, I would get three of those little cups, you know, every, you know, for, for my meals. But other than that, that's the only, I could not believe that they didn't, that I couldn't believe for me, I don't know, maybe in the hospitals in the United States, they don't have protein shakes. But my thought was, what do you usually do for someone who cannot take in food? There must be Mm. some kind of meal substitute that is liquid, that somebody can consume in the hospital other than, you know, a feeding bag or something like that, which I certainly didn't want to be plugged into. The next thing was, as, as I mentioned, I had I, I fever walked, as I call it, because as I said, I never slept walk, walked in my life, but I wasn't aware of any of that until I woke up with my face against the floor and I kind of like looked up And I thought, what the hell just happened? I had hit my face. And once again, I didn't think I'd hit it that hard. But as far as dental is concerned, by almost a week later, my front teeth were still very, very sensitive. I couldn't eat. I couldn't bite right down on that side and i could feel the discomfort all the way up into my my gum line here so i figured one of the you know one of the colive participants she had got she had decided to also incorporate dental tourism in her time four weeks there at the uh, the colive co-work and so she, and she was very pleased with the dentist practice that she went to and i had that number I contacted them. This is after I'd already been out of the hospital, and told her what told them what happened. They were able to get me in for that initial appointment that same day. the The initial exam with the dentist, as well as the wiring on the back of my teeth, which was that when my teeth were clean first, and then they backwired it, as well as a full set of X rays. I had never had so many X rays on my teeth. It was a special. Separate center that they sent me to to get the second set of x rays. I was there for almost an hour having my teeth x rayed because they took a section, a section, a section, and every section they checked before they went on to the next section. And they did the top and fully the bottom. In the dentist's office, they just did this side. That was all of $30 for that hour of x-rays and the full set of x-rays. My initial visit when the doctor just saw me and determined what needed to be done for me to come back the next day to do the wiring, that was $25 to see that that dentist and have her examine. And she took the initial set of x-rays in her office. And then the next day when I came back and she cleaned my teeth, the dentist, at least in this practice, the dentist always cleans your teeth first, not a hygienist, so that they can catch and see anything on their professional level that maybe a hygienist in their mind, you know, may not be able to see. So the cleaning and the backwiring was an hour and a half in a dentist's office, and that was $90. I can't even get my teeth cleaned. In the United States for $90, let alone all of that. So that is an, and an, oh my gosh, it was like going to a spa because the first thing that they did was she laid me back and, you know, everything that all of that was typical to having to go into a dentist. And then they misted me around with an emo, uh, aromatherapy. That is a relaxing and calming aromatherapy. Then they put a, a mask on my eyes that did a massage automatically. It was like a little device in, inside of the mask that while she was working on my teeth, and it was kind of like a relaxing acupressure. That was going, so all the time, there was like this feeling like this around my, and I could have said, you know what? I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't like it. And they would have taken it off, but it was great. It was great. The entire cost for being in the hospital was about $1,500 for four nights in the hospital was about $1,500. And then you add it, add on, maybe it was a little bit less than that, but then add on the dental. I'm talking, I'm in my mind, I'm remembering what's in my travel insurance claim. The number was 1,812 and that included the four nights in the hospital, the dental work, the ticket to Quito that I had to have the non-refundable ticket to Quito that I had that I was getting replaced through my travel insurance, and also the four additional nights that I had to stay in Medellin before I could travel on to Quito at the at the rescheduled time, which was you know the seventh of of July, was when I felt felt well enough to to travel. So that's the bill. That's the total bill that went to the insurance company. And I've got in full disclosure, as a part of my health insurance portfolio, I do represent I'm an affiliate for that insurance company that I that I use. And so it only made sense to me since I was responsible, I'm responsible for the co-live co-work and the people who are participating, that I included travel medical insurance for all of the participants, including myself. In the Co Live co work. You can imagine we will always <laughs> include that. I'm not even gonna trust people to get their own health insurance, <laughs> travel, medical insurance. It'll be included in the, the costs of our Co Live co works.
1: In season two, episode one, I was chatting with Kelly Bonner of the Black Girl Burnout podcast, and we were chatting really about burnout abroad and mental wellness. And so I asked her to share some resources about keeping mentally well abroad. And this is
6: what she shared. Yes, so there's a couple of ways to do this. There is, for, abroad is a little trickier and it really depends on like things like insurance and all the rest. But there are several online options just in general. Like for example, betterhelp.com has a plethora of, of services You can put in categories to weed through therapists, like what you want, making sure they're a person of color centered or uh, they are, in fact, a person of color. If you're going locally, you can use Psychology Today, which is more of an American-based kind of repository. Of different mental health therapists. If you want trauma treatment, you can type in the letters EMDR and it'll send you to their national site and international site where you can find a therapist who specializes in EMDR, which is this type of non talk therapy based treatment of trauma. It's very impactful, has a lot of science behind it. There's those resources. Where it gets tricky is when you live abroad and you have, let's say, you're working for an American company abroad. Depending on your type of insurance, it may be a little more complicated to access local resources if it's an English-speaking country or there's an English-speaking therapist. But it's still possible. I had therapists while I was in the UK. I had a nutritionist and a holistic kind of person who did all the things. And we talked about my feelings and my food, my relationship with food. And I found her and I just paid her out of pocket. And that's just a Google search of like, who's a therapist available? To get around insurance, what I would advocate for people who are overseas but want an American therapist but don't want to deal with like jurisdiction of licenses, for example, I cannot just practice in the UK because my license is just for the United States. Then get a coach and get a coach that specializes in with Black women. It coaches specializes in you know having career goals to heal trauma. If you do coaching, like for example, I do coaching as well as therapy coaching has no restrictions. You can coach somebody in Egypt. You can coach somebody in Florida. There's no restrictions on that. So those are just a few uh, resources. There's also like podcasts and apps. There's an app called Shine. There's therapy for brown girls. I definitely advocate for that website, which has all a list of directory of black therapists, specifically working with black women. Those are just a few off the top of my head.
1: I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Flourish in the Foreign, Healthcare Abroad Part 2. Stay tuned for Part 3 of this series. If you enjoyed this episode, if you like these types of compilations, you need to let me know. Because if you don't, then I just do whatever I want to do, which is typical. But also, I'd like to hear from y'all as well. So feel free to jump into my DMs on Instagram, Flourish in the Foreign or email me, drop me a line via my contact page on the website, FlourishandForeign.com. Let me know what y'all want to hear. Okay? Let me know. Now, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, it is the end of the year and I am having some Really important deals for the end of the year. If you're interested in moving abroad with intention course, which is a five week course, that's from crafting a vision of a life well lived abroad, to money management, to landing in your new country and staying to repatriating successfully and creating a boat game plan for your vision of a life well lived. This course is now being offered as a self-study course at a very special price. Currently, the price for Black Friday, it will be $297. And after Black Friday, it will go up. And at the new year, it will go up again. So if you're interested in that, then you'll need to go ahead and join it. Now, with the self-study course, you still have access to the community. You just won't have access to the live discussions with me. That's it. (laughs) that is that is it if you prefer the live discussion format you'll want to go ahead and jump on the course now because the price is going up substantially after black friday and again after the new year and after the new year it will not be offered all the time the self-study will be available all the time at any point anyone will be able to sign up for it But the live version with me will will not be. (laughs) So if that is really important to you, if you really want to chat with me, if you really want that intimate kind of conversation, you'll want to jump on it now. Because the great thing about it is that you have access to the community and you'll have this information ready to go for your move abroad, okay? Whether you're moving abroad in six months or in five years. This is the game plan of a life well lived. And I don't want you to get caught up in I'm not ready yet or anything like that. The thing about moving abroad is it's a hassle all the time. And I don't think anyone is ever really ready, no matter how much preparation they do because of the nature of the type of upheaval that's going on in your life. But the great thing about moving about with intention is that it's going to center you. It's going to create these guideposts for you so that you can be clear and confident as you make these decisions for your life. Now, Build a Business Abroad Group Coaching Love it so much. It's only available for 10 participants. If you're ready to start your own business that's going to support you in a life well-lived abroad, this is the time to go ahead and join. This is the time. Because the price of the program is doubling. I'm not joking. It's doubling next year. So it is about 1200 give or take dollars. Next year, it'll be about 2500 give or take dollars. If this is what you've been thinking about, if you've been in the back of your mind being like, Now, where is Christine with this Build-A-Business Abroad program? Where has she been at? This is the time. Come on and join me. I'd love to have you, for sure. Okay? All the information that you need is located in these links that are in the description of these episodes. It was in part one and part two. Now, if you're listening to this in the future and you're like, wait what about me? Hey, it's okay. <laughs> it's, all, it's all right. Okay. You'll be able to join in on these programs at their current price. So no worries. Don't worry about it. But if you're listening to this and it's November, 2022, y'all know what to do. Come on and join me. I'd love to have you. As always, thanks to Zachary Higgs for producing the music of this here podcast. And remember, it is not about moving abroad, y'all. It's surely not about just being abroad on some vibes or for some IG stuff, absolutely not. It's about flourishing abroad, right? Flourishing abroad on your own terms, flourishing in the vision of a life well lived, your vision of a life well lived. Yes, yes. All right, so go abroad and cultivate. A life well lived. See y'all next time. Bye. <music> On the next episode of Flourish and the Foreign, I'm in the stirrups. You know, scoot your booty down. I'm in the stirrups, and the nurse practitioner is like, Oh, where are you from? And I was like, Oh, I'm from Atlanta. She's like, Oh, you speak English. You're an English teacher. She proceeds, Wow. I'm still in the stirrups. And she's like, oh, my son really needs an English teacher. Do you have availability? And I was like, no. And she's like, oh, but do you know someone? And I'm like, what are you gonna say, right? What are you gonna say to someone that you're in the most vulnerable position? She was like, just think about it. She goes back into the office. She writes down her name and her number on a sticky she sticks it on my dressing gown while I'm in the stirrups, spread out. And I don't, like for her, this is like every day. This is not, mm, you know, this is every day. For me, I was like, what am I gonna say no?